the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. Celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. Visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the Friday show. You know what that means. It means that we made it another week. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is the Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls, answering your Bible questions, questions about anything going on in your life, questions about church, whatever's on your heart. All you have to do is provide the phone call or the email. You can call 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, I remind you that if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Hit the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. And we would love to have your phone calls. Hey, uh, special stuff going on here tonight at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. We are going to be ordaining... um, Ed Rodriguez, who will soon be Pastor Ed uh, here, our Spanish-language pastor here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. This is always a thrilling time for me. Uh, so that's tonight at 7 o'clock. You can watch that at calvarysa.com. Um, always a neat thing. I, I was sharing with Paula today. Uh, I, I remember the first time that I laid eyes on Ed and Tish, uh, his wife, and and, well, I loved them. I mean, there wasn't a thought that this could possibly be uh, where where we would end up. And I'm just thrilled to see the work that God has done um, in them and through them. Ed has been teaching our Spanish language um, um, church uh, on Sunday nights, I guess now for nearly a couple of years. And uh, when we sent Pastor Chris to Michoacan in Mexico, uh, to plant a church, uh, Ed stepped in and filled in. He's been doing the work for two years. So today he formally joins, or tonight rather, he formally joins our staff. And I'm just thrilled to death for Ed and for Tish and, and for us, frankly. Um, we're the ones that really are going to be blessed. So that's tonight at 7 o'clock on a Sunday. I have one of those Bible studies. This is one of these things pastors just have nightmares about. Um We've come through our verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study uh, in the Gospel of Mark, and today we are, or Sunday rather, we will be at the triumphal entry. Now, I just taught this a very short time ago uh, when we were here on on Palm Sunday, and so it's like all the people are going to be, oh, here we go again. So I'm going to try to do it a little bit differently this time, but um, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry, Jesus overturning the money tables, uh, money changers' tables, uh, cursing the fig tree. All of that is here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio on Sunday. 
Wherever you go to church, may the Lord bless you. Be somebody that God can use. I'm going to start today with a question that, frankly, uh, has irritated me. Now, I'm not going to get in my flesh that much for sure. Uh, and I'm not going to read all of this uh, because um, I believe some of it is racist and and I'm going to leave it out. But um, this is from Dubs who has been calling us or not calling us, but emailing questions to us. And I want to say before I read it, I don't know who Dubs is and obviously he doesn't know me. So um, um, let me just deal with this, get it out of the way. Um, he says, I love you. But I'm disturbed now hearing twice you specifically point out young white boys in regard in regards to violence with guns. It happened last week and again just today. Uh, and then he goes into what I believe is, is a racist uh, rant. And I'm not going to um, put that on the air. Uh, he gets to the end. He says, so can I please just ask, stop pointing out color. I believe it's irresponsible, insensitive and causes incredibly biased position of discord. Again, I love you tremendously, but your language of how of now twice only pointing out one race as being problematic is just wrong. Dubs, the thing that really bothers me here is that you didn't listen to a word I said. Not a word that I said. I never said young white boys. I said young white men. That was very specific. And if you'll remember the conversation, uh, maybe you can go back and listen to it. It's archived on our website. Um, I was talking about a demographic. I was talking about mass shootings. I wasn't talking about urban violence. I wasn't talking about anything other than the mass shootings. And I said that young white men, 18 to 25, uh, are specifically, egregiously, um, the cause of these things and had nothing to do with race at all. It was a demographic. In fact, in the same conversation, I pointed out very shortly after that, talking about the, the transgender issues in our world and our country in particular, um, that young teenage girls are dispropor- disproportionately affected by it and, and suffering as a result of it. Now, you didn't point that out. Again, I'm speaking about demographics, and you have to be able to reasonably and intelligently talk about these things. But there wasn't an ounce of race in this. There wasn't one ounce of political um, um, posturing in this. I simply was saying that we're living in a time where God has given us over to ourselves. The question that I was answering was, do I believe that God is judging the United States of America? And my answer was yes. And a lying spirit has been allowed by the Lord to deceive us. And all I was talking about, Dubs, the only thing I was talking about was this demographic is particularly impacted and then with the young teenage girls, that demographic demographic is particularly and in fact overwhelmingly impacted um, with with the trend to transgender uh, or body dysfunction, body dysphoria. So um, you brought up race. I didn't. And I never said the word boys. Um, I'm very careful with the words that I choose. And um, dubs, I... I I'm not going to defend myself. Just go listen to what I said. And I think that you need to, to repent. Um, uh, you hear one phrase, you hear the word white, and and you assume that I'm taking a position uh, on some political or social issue it has nothing whatsoever to do with it. Again, I'm describing a demographic. That's all I'm going to deal with on this, um, Dubs, but um, wow, that's all I can say. Okay, let me get my breath back here. Here's a question that came in from Nacho, referring to Romans 7, the illustration of marriage and dying, which releases us from the bonds of the law. My understanding of Paul's explanation is that our death breaks the bond of the law of sin, and we are then able to enter into new marriage with Christ. We get to be in heaven. 
What happens to those who will not die but who are raptured? How do they nullify the law, binding them as married to their partner on earth, binding them to the law, if you will? Um, and and the, I think I get the, the gist of the question here. Um, Paul is talking about if we're dead to sin, why live in it any longer? And he uses the illustration of marriage simply to say it's, you know, you're only married. If Paul is a married woman today, if I die today, tomorrow, she's no longer a married woman. So that's the idea here. And he's simply saying, uh, since we died to sin, why do we live in it any longer? And then Paul goes on to talk about his specific uh, personal uh, struggles in, in this area. And I'm so grateful that we have that passage of Scripture uh, none of this has anything to do with will we be married in heaven at all. Uh, Nacho, we won't be married in heaven except to Jesus. And we know that because Jesus specifically addressed that. Uh, people will not be married nor given in marriage in heaven. It is a completely new order of things. So what he's trying to communicate here, using marriage as an illustration, he's trying to communicate very simply that... Um, um, we divorce the law. We divorce the law uh, by being born again. And um, um, if if we're freed from sin, why live in it any longer? So I hope that makes sense to you, Nacho. Thank you very, very much. Here is the next question. This one is from Carlson from our email inbox. Pastor on. Pastor on. What should be derived? He says, what should be derived from Jesus' words in Luke 22? Verses 36 and 38, where Jesus said, If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. The disciples then said, See, Lord, here are two swords. Jesus replies, That is enough. I guess what I'm asking, is Jesus pro-self-protection for righteous reasons, or should I still always turn the other cheek towards my enemy also? Uh, this is a great question. Let me let me deal with Jesus and his disciples and what he was saying first, and then Carlson will try to apply it. Uh, in our own lives. First and foremost, Jesus is uh, at the end of his life and he's um, protected his disciples. If you go to John chapters 14, 15, 16, and 17, he said these long uh, prayers and conversations with his disciples. And in one of those prayers, he says, Father, I have not lost any that you've given me. I protected them, and then Jesus says, now you protect them. That's my paraphrase. You protect them because I'll no longer be with them physically. So now at this point, with his disciples, he's saying, um, if you don't have a sword, go and get one. And here's what he's saying, and this isn't a a recommendation for weapons or self-defense or anything else. Here's what Jesus is really saying to him. Up to now, you've been with me, and I've protected you. I've covered you, I've, I've protected you, um, and, and you have been safe, you are with my hands. But now that I'm leaving, here's what he's saying to them, things are going to get really hard. And he's letting them know that now they have to be prepared for a battle. And certainly we know that was the case because um, instantly, as soon as people started getting saved after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection, um, the people came after them. Um, they had a, a terribly difficult life and were always in danger. So Jesus is not speaking so specifically about you go get a weapon and protect yourself. But here's what he's saying. Look, I've been here. I've had you and protected you. But now you've got to be ready. You've got to be on guard. And I think those words are true for us as well in these last days. We need to be ready. The world is going to come against us. They already are coming against us uh, as never before in the United States. And what we're, what we're watching here is, is um, um, persecution uh, for the very first time in the United States uh, becoming a real fact of life. Uh, persecution has always been a fact of life for Christians. But in our country, it's been really easy. And I could say the same thing to Christians today. In these last days, we need to be ready for battle. This isn't just a spiritual exercise. This is a battle. We're in a war. And we need to toughen up. We need to be braver than we are. And we need to expect that things are going to be difficult. And if we expect that, then we'll be okay. Jesus is with us. 
Um, but but that doesn't mean that uh, we got to go out and buy a sword or got buy a gun or anything else. Now let me get to the practical application. Um, is Jesus self? Uh, is Jesus pro self protection? Um, the ability to defend ourselves is a God given right. I would even say a mandate. That doesn't mean that we have to buy a gun, but it doesn't mean that we can't. I think about that last mass shooting in in Indiana. Um, There was a young man, um, young white man, by the way, Dubs, a young man who heroically kept people out of the way while he took down a shooter and reduced the numbers of deaths dramatically. Police presence called him a hero. Um, I'm glad that he was armed. He saved lives that day. Um, As Christians, we have the right to carry a weapon. We have the right to defend our family. And again, I want to use the word a mandate to defend our family. We can defend our lives. We always have to be careful when we talk about righteous reasons, uh, Carlson, because, you know, our, our, our reasons aren't normally righteous. But uh, there, there is no issue um, regarding defense, honest self-defense. Uh, Jesus has no problem with that. Uh, whether you're a civilian, a policeman, a, a military person, uh, we have the right to defend ourselves. Uh, I don't think the two things here are related uh, that you you put together, but uh, we can defend ourselves if necessary. Let me also talk about turning the other cheek. Um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, when he said, uh, told us to turn the other cheek, Jesus wasn't expecting that we were going to let somebody hit us and then say, well, you missed this cheek, get this one too. That's not what he was saying. Jesus was describing in the Sermon on the Mount how to get to heaven without believing in him. He said, you have to be perfect, not only keep the letter of the law, but the spirit behind the law. And Jesus did this for us so that we could have his righteousness freely given to us. So the Sermon on the Mount is not a list of rules that we're to live by. It's a standard of how good somebody has to be to get to heaven. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, there's wonderful principles for us to live by. And certainly we don't want to provoke fighting. And if we can get out of a fight, that's what we ought to do. But Jesus certainly isn't telling us that we need to turn the other cheek. He's not telling us if somebody steals something from us, we're to give him something else or to, we're, we're, we're to, 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 to be taken advantage of. That's not at all his point. In the Sermon on the Mount, the only thing Jesus is doing is telling the Jews. Remember, they're rejecting him. He came to his own and his own received him not. And what he's telling them is, if you don't believe in me, this is how good you have to be to get to heaven. You remember that they thought because they were Abraham's children because or descendants because they were oh, they had the law that they had some special pass into heaven. And Jesus is saying, you want to go to heaven, this is how good you have to be. In chapter 5, verse 48 of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew's Gospel says, be ye perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. And that's sort of what sums it up. And the whole idea of the Sermon on the Mount is the same as the purpose of the law. It's to get us to the place where we say, I can't do that. Jesus, help. And that's exactly what we're supposed to do. So, Carlson, I hope that explains things for you. Thank you very, very much for your question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Here is a question from... Uh, Our email inbox, Uh, Pastor Ron, I've been pondering Luke 21, uh, verses 30 and 31. When they sprout leaves, you can see for yourselves and know that summer is near. When you see these things happening, you don't know that the kingdom of God is near. Uh, That's the verse. And he says, please let me preface my question saying that I read all 42 pages of your Luke 21 commentary on the CCSA website and did not find the part I'm inquiring about. I know you've stated before, as well as in your written commentary, that you believe Jesus is speaking of the fig tree and all of the trees as a metaphor, Israel being the fig tree and all of the other trees being nations. Yes, in Luke's gospel. Can you specifically address why Jesus would specifically add summer 
to his parable if he was truly not being a literal fig tree and other trees spouting leaves. Now, I guess what you're saying here is that you think Jesus is the literal fig tree. Um, that, that's, that makes no sense to me. It seems to me, he says, in other material I read, Jesus is literally speaking of a real fig tree and all trees. Um, and a follow-up to the question, I know Jesus said no one will know the day or time of his return. Yet by just stating a series of months, May through September, Israel's summer, is still not exact, so it stays doctrinally connect, correct. No, here's, here's, here's what he's doing. He's using the, 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 the summer and the trees uh, that people can see as an illustration so it's it's not a metaphor in the sense that um, um, he's sending you fishing on these things. It is an illustration, and they would all be able to look around and say, "Yeah, um, when in fact um, the leaves begin to sprout, that's what we call spring." And and uh, summer follows spring, and Jesus isn't talking about a literal summer. He's not talking about really. He's talking about knowing the signs of the times. Now, for Jesus, with his disciples and those who are plotting his murder, who are always hanging around listening to him, what he's doing here is simply saying, look, open your eyes. What do the scriptures say about the Messiah when he's going to come? What have you seen me doing? The blind will see, the lame will leap for joy. Lepers will be clean, cleansed, the dead will be raised, and, and demons will be cast out. Is that not what you're seeing? And he's saying all you need to do is look around you, and you can see, if you will hear it, the time that you're living in. And he's trying to give them, especially his opponents, the opportunity to check their hearts and say, wait a minute, this is what the Messiah is prophesied to do. Jesus is doing these things. Not to mention that he teaches like no man ever taught before. He teaches with an authority that we're unfamiliar with. Um, um, he, he's he's a, a paragon of virtue. And Jesus is saying, look, look around. This is the time that we're in. Now, with this being um, Mark chapter 11, the... Um, uh, triumphal entry, uh, things get even worse as they get to the end of it, uh, as as is indicated here in Luke 21, because Jesus shows up at exactly the right time in Jerusalem to be openly declared for the very first time as the Messiah, the Christ of, of, of Israel. He comes on exactly the right day. He's riding the donkey that, that was predicted that he would be on. And the people reject him anyway. And here's what he's saying to him: Open your eyes and open your heart. And just like when you see a tree beginning to bloom, you know summer's near. Luke is the only one, by the way, that adds the other trees. Um, you know, the people should have seen him. So uh, Israel... The, the fig tree is used symbolically of Israel, um, but, but you know, the, the, the tree is not the point of what Jesus was saying. And that's why we need to read carefully, rightly dividing the word of God. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, the the, the follow-up to your question, um, no one will know the day or time of his return. I don't know. I really don't understand this, uh, whether or not you're trying to indicate that you think summer May through September is when Jesus is coming. Um, uh, that that that's not what he's saying at all. Jesus says the no one knew the day or time of his return, including him, only the Father, uh, because Jesus' deity was veiled. Now Jesus, of course, knows now, and we don't know when Jesus is coming. And to every Christian, I would say, read the spiritual signs around us. We're given enough information what these last days are going to be like that we can genuinely look and see that we are in them. And we need to make decisions. We need to live our lives accordingly. And that's exactly what is being uh, spoken of here. Live your lives accordingly. If, in fact, you know that Jesus um, uh, is doing the things the Messiah did, then why are you any more confused about who he, who I am and what I've come to do than um, 
You're not confused when the figs begin to sprout and the weather's going to get hot. That's all he's saying. So there's there's nothing literal about this. Remember, the trees in this are an illustration uh, to make a greater point. Thank you for the question. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. I got just a little over one moment, uh, one minute. Um, Melanie says, do you think some Christians worship the Bible instead of just following Jesus? Um, no, Melanie, Melanie, nobody worships the Bible. Uh, but the Bible tells us who the Jesus that we worship is. So we, we, we need to understand the Bible is the word of God. And it's worthy to be obeyed, period. And so, um, you know, I get a little frustrated at times when people say, well, well, you guys worship the Bible or it's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, not Father, Son, Holy Bible. We have no way of knowing who Jesus is without our Bible. That's why Jesus said, my word will always be with you. We've got 30 minutes left in our week, 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is the Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to The Word to Stand On for Life, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630, The Word. We're taking your calls at 210-340-9585. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Back to the program, 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Um, let's get right back to some questions with our final 30 minutes. This one is from Stephen. He says, how should I approach Christians who openly support Pride Month activities on social media? Stephen, I don't think you should approach them. I mean, if you know them, um, you approach them face to face. Um, that's simple. Don't, don't, don't hit them on social media. Don't get into a debate on social media. Um, it's, it's just real simple. Talk to people face to face. If you care about them, that's what you will do. But, but don't waste your time getting involved uh, in this public discourse. It's just public gossip that we call public discourse. Um, I'll tell you point blank that, that uh, any Christian who could openly support Pride Month activities is probably not a born-again believer. And what I would say, and by the way, I've done this before with with people um, when it, word got back to me I, I'm not on social media so I don't know what anybody's saying but um, that, that so and so was supporting um, I always say have, have you gone and talk, spoken with them and that's what I do I send people back to them um, if, if it ever does get to me I just ask them are you a Christian are you born again well yes I am well then how could you support a lifestyle that's going to condemn somebody to an eternity in hell and I want to open up a dialogue, but it's not to argue, it's not to debate. So do it face to face or don't do it at all. And then, Stephen, we pray for them. We pray for them. Um, you know, the world, I, I talked a little bit earlier, Second um, Thessalonians chapter 2, I think it's verse 12, where, where God will give them over to a powerful delusion. Uh, that's happening in our country even now as I'm speaking. And there are a lot of people that are professing Christians that have been convinced by the world that, 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 that there's nothing wrong with, with behavior that God says is sinful. And all I can say to people is that this kind of compromise um, will compromise your walk with Jesus Christ. You cannot be a true follower of Jesus Christ. You can't be a Christian, born-again believer, and allow people with your encouragement to go to hell. You just cannot do it. It is antithetical to everything that Jesus stands for. So uh, if you approach them, do it in love, do it face-to-face, and do not, Christian, Stephen and everybody else, do not engage in this silly public discourse uh, on social media that is is bound to cause 
um, arguing and debates. Jesus said that we're not through the Apostle Paul. Uh, we're not to be involved in those kind of conversations. So handle it the way Jesus would, directly in, in love. Thank you, Stephen. Juan asked an interesting question. How do we balance Lord Jesus and Jesus who is our friend? Um, Juan, uh, in other ways I've been asked this question over the years. You know, it's, it's easy when Jesus is your pal, he's your buddy, to treat him like we treat our friends. You know, and, and oh, he loves me, he, he's okay with what I'm doing. I don't think there's any balance. I think both of those things are true. I'm so grateful that Jesus said he calls us friend. And by the way, he also added in that passage that he calls us brothers. He's not ashamed to call us brothers. I mean, there's times when I'm ashamed of me. So uh, I don't think we, we have to find a balance. I think the Lord Jesus Christ, he is almighty, holy God. And we can never forget that. And when we understand that and then have a healthy fear of God, one, then we can benefit from the fact that he's our friend. And I love that. There's times when I know there's not something right in my heart and approaching almighty God is a little intimidating. But I can always go to my friend and say, you know me, you love me. And I need to get right with you. Help me, and he'll do that. That's what a friend does. And as he helps you deal with whatever the issue is, then you're going to come face to face with his holiness. And, um, you know, that, that fear of God that, that so many have lost, uh, our over-familiarity with Jesus, has caused a lot of people to think that Jesus is okay with whatever we do, and we know that's not the case. So one, I don't think there's a need to balance it. I just think that we remember always who he is and holiness is his overarching attribute above all other things. And when we stand in the presence of that holiness, um, we know exactly who he is. And then the fact that he's our friend becomes something that we can rejoice over. I just love the fact that after everything I've done, uh, before I was saved, and now after I'm saved. Uh, if I if I fail, if I blow it, uh, my friend is still my friend. He doesn't turn his back on me because I did something that offended him. And he always makes a way back. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now that's a friend. So one, keep your friend close. And the way you do that is by following the Lord Jesus Christ. Great question. Thank you very, very much. Theo says, do Jews believe that their Christ is still coming? Yeah, Theo, they do. Now, now remember, most Jews are secular Jews. They're not um, um, religious Jews. Um, but, but I think just sort of... In their DNA, their their spiritual DNA, is a sense that their their Messiah is going to come, and and religious Jews obviously believe that their Christ is still coming, and they're still waiting for him. So, um, yeah, they believe, in spite of all the evidence that Jesus is the one, um, their idea of what the Messiah was going to do when he was going to come had certainly nothing to do with suffering and dying. Jews find it offensive. They they often equate that with human sacrifice, which we know God hates. Um, um, but yeah, they still believe their their Christ is coming. Uh, I heard Dennis Prager. Dennis Prager, for those of you who don't know, is a conservative talk show host. He is on KLUP, The Answer, here in San Antonio, the sister station to AM630, The Word. And I heard uh, him um, interviewing somebody, and the person that was interviewing him said, um, um, when your Jesus comes, or when your Christ comes, he said to Dennis, he said, when your Christ comes, do you have questions for him? And Dennis said, oh, do I have questions? And the the guest that he was talking to said, okay, what's your first question going to be? And he says, I'm going to look at him and say, have you been here before? Now, that's pretty heavy, isn't it? 
you know, Christians, billions of them, multiplied billions of them throughout the centuries. We understand that the Jewish Messiah has already come and he's become the savior for the world. Jews now think, I hope it's not him. I always think of Saul of Tarsus as he was knocked from his horse and blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus. And he says, who are you, Lord? I love that. He knew that he was speaking to the ultimate authority. Who are you, Lord? And I think the one thing that he didn't want to hear is what Jesus said. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I think Paul or Saul at the time probably said, oh, no, how could I have been so wrong? And, and of course, we know what God's plan for for. Saul, who would become Paul, was all about. But yeah, Jews believe that their Christ is still going to come. And in that particular case, um, they're going to be waiting. And at one point, uh, Ezekiel uh, tells us, but but more specifically, Zechariah tells us that they will uh, see him coming in Revelation chapter 19, and they will will, will speak to him. They'll see his nail-pierced hands and, and the wounds on his body. Where did you get these wounds? And he's going to say, I got them in the house of my friends. And there is going to be repentance in Israel as never before because they'll realize that he was here. And not only did we miss him, but we were responsible for handing him over to the Romans to die. So pray for Jews open their eyes. Paul says to the Corinthians, we should pray that their eyes will be open and the veil that now covers their heart will be torn. That's the way to pray for Jews so that they would hear. Thank you for the question. Donald writes this. He says, I listened to one of your messages online and you said we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit over and over. If God gives us his spirit, why do we need it more than once? Donald, the spirit of God is, is power. Um, the, the best way I can describe it in our culture, it's like it's like having a cell phone. You know, I see people all the time that will say, i got to get on the phone, I'm running out of battery. Um, that Our Christian lives run out of power. And the only way to be powered up is to be filled with the Spirit. So it is a continuing theme. If you go through the book of Acts um, over and over, you'll see that the disciples who were filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and they would, of course, become apostles, um, they were filled and refilled over and over and again. So the idea here is every time that we go to serve the Lord, we have to be filled with his power. Apart from me, you can do nothing, Jesus said. Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So whenever the apostle Paul um, um, was obedient, and of course that characterized his life, then power would come on, uh, come upon him. And Acts 5.32 tells us that the trigger for that power is obedience. So, Donald, we can have a one-time experience. Often, not always, I want to make that clear, but often the first experience that we have with being baptized in the Spirit is very profound. It can be very emotional. Uh, it, it can be uh, an experience that you remember the rest of your life. Often it's an experience that is accompanied by the giving of gifts, most notably tongues. It, it's sort of Jesus knocking on the door of your heart and saying, hey, I'm here, and you let him in, and and, and um, he, he lets you know that he's there. But But that's only good for that one moment. Now, the Spirit of God lives in us, if we're truly born again, the moment we surrender our heart to Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God lives in us. Um, but, but the power of God is not available to us. And usually it's because we're guilty of presumption or pride or disobedience or we're not really plugged in. And maybe we just haven't even been seeking the power of God. You know, uh, Donald, I have taught a lot of Bible studies. In every single Bible study, I pray. On, on Sunday, it's three times. Every single time, I pray, Oh, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Empty me of me and fill me overflowing with your power. You know the people who are here. You know what they need to hear. God, I want to hear you. I don't want them to hear me. That requires the baptism of the Holy Spirit over and over and over again. 
So whatever you do, Donald, to be a, 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 a servant in church, to be a servant at home, to be the, the husband God wants you to be or the father God wants you to be, um, the employee God wants you to be, to be a light in this dark world that we live in, we need to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and you invite him, and if you're obedient to him, and if you have repented of any sin that keeps him from falling upon you, then that power is available to you all the time. It won't be the same emotional experience that perhaps you once had. But you'll begin to walk by faith knowing that when you have the opportunity to minister, he'll be there. One other thing, Donald, and this is just for everybody in the audience. Those of us as Christians who are not inclined to share our faith, we are quenching the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine why we would be... I know it's uncomfortable, but but knowing that the Spirit of God is available. Jesus said when the disciples, the, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will receive power. And the power is to be his witnesses. The same thing is true for all of us. And the man or the woman who is a real believer, who is unwilling to share their faith, is quenching the Spirit. And until they get right with God, until they repent of their unwillingness, their disobedience, then, frankly, the power of God is not going to be available to them um, to, to, to do the ministry the way God wants it done. So I hope that makes sense, Donald. Um, we need to be filled and refilled with the Spirit each and every day. It is the first thing I th- seek when I get up every morning. Thank you for the question. appreciate it very, very much. We've got Reuben on line one from Seguin. Reuben, we were just asking about you. How are you doing today? Uh, Pastor Ron, I just, uh, I, I, I just, I need prayer. Um, I don't know what's going on these past few days. Just the enemy's been hitting me and hitting me, and I know it's the enemy. And and I, what's going? You say you can't get up. Oh my God! Uh, pray for me, please. Um, the other is just hitting me. My dad just told me right now he fell, so I got to go. I'm sorry. Okay. I'm sorry. Okay, Father. Ruben, we'll pray. That No problem. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Father, I want to lift up Ruben and his dad and and um, ask you to intervene. You know, he's going through a lot physically. Now his dad uh, has fallen. So, Spirit of God, um, wash afresh over him for your glory. Amen. Here is a question that just came in from Debbie, and she said, love Debbie. So this may be a Debbie I know. Hi, Pastor Ron. In response to your answer of Jesus telling the apostles to buy swords, if they had to use their swords, did the fact that they too would die by the sword? Um, No, uh, we we knew how they were going to die. Jesus told Peter how he was going to die before any of that. So they didn't use their swords. Again, uh, I want to be clear. This wasn't Jesus telling Peter, okay, that's enough. You know, he's, he's not saying, okay, you got a sword, so now you're ready. Get ready to use it. That's not the message that he was sending at all. And uh, I imagine that the, the swords that they carried uh, in, in the, the, the time and day that they lived in uh, were used for a lot of other things. There was a lot of traveling, a lot of camping. There was a lot of um, um, hunting. Um, so, so Jesus wasn't telling them to buy swords for people. All he was telling them was that you need to be really, really on guard because now the warfare begins. And this was just a call to readiness. It wasn't a statement that's saying, okay, now that you've got a sword, everything's going to be okay. We know that they weren't okay. We know that their lives, uh, James, uh, part of Jesus' inner circle, was the first of the the uh, apostles to die for his faith as a martyr. So that's just the way um, Jesus was communicating to them. Look, I've protected you up in now, but I'm gone, and now you got to get ready for the battle ahead. That's why Jesus sent the Holy Spirit, and of course they learned very quickly uh, after the day of Pentecost what the value of the Spirit in their lives really was all about. Good question. Thank you very, very much. We got Matthew online one from San Antonio. Matthew, thanks for calling. You're on the air. 
Yes, hello, Pastor Ron. It's a pleasure uh, to be on the air, and I, I'm gonna, I'm, I have faith, uh, as I have been before, that the Holy Spirit will speak through you and, um, and speak through the airwaves um, for the guidance and strength. Um, Thank you, Matthew. Question. Hopefully it's not going to be too complex, but my heart breaks for a caller about uh, his dad falling, because my dad's fell, fallen yeah. a few times, and it breaks my heart. I mean, my, my heart yeah. breaks for him, and, and may God be with him and guide yeah, him, thank you. him through that. Um, my question is kind of like a question and a, um, a prayer request for me as well, and for any everyone as well, too, because uh, Satan is, is roaming around this earth, uh, like a, ro- a roaring lion, bloodthirsty, mm-hmm. and wants to destroy the Church of God. I mean, he's not going to, but he's going to try to try to have that mission to do that. And uh, I've noticed that with my own personal life that that's just getting so getting me so in a dark, dark place and depression. And and I've I've called you before about this, and I just. Continue to please, uh, please um, pray for me for guidance and strength. And, and uh, like you said earlier, you said um, you pray to God saying to empty me of me and fill me of you. Mm-hmm. And, and that, that's, that's, that's so right. I mean, I, I say that as, uh, in my prayer as well. Um, I'm like, uh, God, empty me of my, my selfishness. And fill me with whatever you have. Uh, I want to have more of you. Um, so please, Pastor Ron, uh, I'll, I don't, like I said, I don't really don't have a question. It's just more a request. Okay. Please to pray for us and strengthen us and stuff like that. Uh, who are going you've through got all it, Matthew. this? Uh, yeah. These struggles. So thank you very much. Yeah, you've got I it. love you in Christ and I'll... God bless you. Thank you, Matthew, and I will be praying, and so many in the audience will be praying as well. Let me suggest, and this is for not just for Matthew, but anybody who struggles with depression, um, two things. One, you've got to realize there's an enemy uh, that really does want to destroy us. Um, he's not going to rest. He's not going to give you a break. Um, you know, he has not one ounce of, of kindness in him. So when he gets you down, he's going to kick. So um, you need to be ready. And I'm going to suggest to you, we had the question earlier about the swords and a follow-up question on the sword. I'm going to, I'm going to say, get your sword. This is a time when you've got to fight. Whenever you're, you're under attack from the enemy, you've got to fight. And there's no way to fight apart from having our own sword. Now, we know that the sword in the New Testament is a metaphor for the Word of God. And so we've got all of the tools that we need, Matthew, to fight the lies of the enemy, to resist his tactics. Uh, Peter says we're not unaware of his schemes. Paul um, um, also says the same thing. Um, and, and he keeps doing the same things. He keeps pushing the same buttons. So our response is necessarily going to be the same. We have to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ, Paul writes. But we also then need to get into our, our, our Bibles because the Bible is the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Bible gives us the answers about how to fight. Um, read systematically every day through your Bible. Um, read it as long as you can, as long as the Lord is speaking to you, or, or read it until you hear something from the Lord. But remember that, that he's not um, going to give you a break so this is when we have to be aggressive and fight. We have to turn from defense to offense. And the way we do that is with the promises given to us in the Word of God. Matthew, let me make a suggestion to you that um, especially when you feel the discouragement or the depression uh, coming along, because it's something that Satan has, has been doing in your life for a very, very long time, um, turn to Romans chapter 8. And just read the promises that God has made you. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. And, and, and I think there's ten things that are listed that, that his love overcomes. That you're more than a conqueror through him who loved us. 
Um, going back to the very first verse, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Those are powerful swords for us, powerful weapons. And so all we have to do is is use them to fight. The enemy has no answer for those things. And when you recognize the enemy, and this is something that I do regularly, Matthew, when you recognize it's the enemy who's telling you those lies again, you simply refuse to listen. I know the the source of that voice. And so, Jesus, I don't want anything to do with it. I don't want to talk to him. I don't want to hear from him. You handle him. I want to talk to you. And then use that time to begin to pray. Talk to Jesus. I think one of the reasons Paul said that we're to pray without ceasing is because it's awfully difficult for the devil to butt in when you have an audience of Jesus. So we we need to pray. That's how we fight. We fight in the Word. We fight in prayer. We fight by serving others. We fight by being obedient. And then the power of the Holy Spirit comes over us, and that's when we can really, really begin to live that more than a conqueror life. It doesn't mean things are going to be easy. It just means that you're going to have this confidence that everything is going to be okay because you're going to be okay because he's faithful even when we're not. So you fight that way and you fight from a position of already having obtained the victory, not trying to get a victory. Again, that doesn't mean your problems are going to go away. It doesn't mean the devil's going to stop. It just means that greater is he who is in you than he was in the world. And that's the Jesus you'll experience. Matthew, we will be praying for you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. For the most part, it's been a good week here on the program. Uh, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Be a servant at church this week. I'll see you on Monday. God bless. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh, celebrating our 10th year of ministry on AM 630 The Word. The Word to Stand On for Life airs every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life is sponsored by Calvary Chapel San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.